Hello. Good morning, people. Guys, I'm an extrovert. You have to talk back to me. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Amazing. Well, guys, I am really excited. One reason why I'm excited is because it's my birthday next month. Not today. <laughs> Sorry. I should have phrased that better. <laughs> but it's my birthday next month. I'm an April baby. Um, so I am still a young guy. I'm currently 26 years old. And, you know, for some reason, especially being a young guy, there's this assumption that I must be great with younger people than me, aka kids. And this assumption has plagued me since the day I entered adulthood. I remember when I was 18 years old, my mom asked me, she says she's going out with her friends and with my dad and stuff, and she asked me to look after my niece and nephew and some of my younger cousins. And I said, mom, I will certainly not do that. But then I realized, um, I forgot that actually I'm Nigerian and I forgot who I was speaking to. So I was like, mom, I'm just kidding. Please don't send me back home, honestly. <laughs> and the thing is like, and then it came to the time where, you know, it was time for all the over 18s to leave the house and the door closed and I was left alone with the under 10s and I could literally feel their sinister smiles behind me. Me versus the kids. And I could just see them. They were just, you know, folding their hands like this. This is going to be fun. We've been left with the, with the inexperienced and barely adult relative. And guys, I have to be honest, I tried. You know, I tried to be good cop. I tried to say, if you behave yourselves, I will give you Lindor. And I remember my nephew was like, bro, I have a whole stack of Kit Kat upstairs. I don't need your Lindor. And then, you know, I tried to play bad cop. I'm like, if you, you know, if you don't stop screaming and shouting, I will put you on a time out. And they just looked at me and just carried on screaming and shouting. And evidently, I didn't watch enough episodes of Super Nanny. And then after a few hours of torture, I was waiting, eagerly expecting and waiting the arrival of my parents to come and set me free. And I remember the, the, the hour that they drove in and I saw, that par, I saw that car coming in close. The kids literally knew in that moment that they only had a few seconds to be completely unbound and free. So they started running around even faster. And I remember the moment that my mom walked through the doors and she saw jollof rice and milk all over the floors, which I can say is a very dangerous combination and I had to learn the hard way. And also, she saw like drawings on the walls, she saw things yanked off the walls, and there was also this faint smell of pee in the atmosphere. And my mom looked at me with horror, and she said, Wale, what happened? And you might be thinking, where am I going with this? But the thing is, I can imagine that this must have been the same reaction that Moses had in Exodus chapter 32. And let me explain why. You see, Moses in Exodus chapter 32, he, he had just spent several days up Mount Sinai receiving revelation and insight from God on how his people, the Israelites, should live and conduct worship. He had just been in the great majesty, in the presence of God. And now he comes down from the mountain 
back to the Israelite camp to see that the Israelites are not worshipping God, but actually they are worshipping a golden calf. They were meant to be worshippers of Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. And, and Moses leaves them in, in the care of someone like me, Aaron. And Aaron doesn't lead them too well. Moses comes back to see that the Israelites have completely forsaken their faith, renounced their trust in God, and are now worshipping a statue, a golden statue of a calf. And you might think this is quite ludicrous. I might just be like, okay, do you know what? This is just some really weird ancient people. But before you cancel the Israelites, let's just read a few verses to see their reasoning behind this. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 32. And I will read from verse 1. So it says these words, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we, don't know what, we, don't, we do not know what has happened to him. Verse 2, Aaron answered, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Fashioned it with a tool, they, then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt." So the first thing we read is that Moses has been away for quite some time. Specifically, he's, he had been away for close to 40 days and 40 nights. So you can just imagine, you know, the Israelites, they have been enslaved in Egypt for generations. They had battled against the Egyptians and still sovereignly they saw the Lord lead them out, deliver them out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land, into the middle of nowhere where food is also uncertain. And then the very guy who's appointed by the Lord to lead them to the promised land, a place of abundance, provision, and security, has now disappeared and shows no signs of coming back. You know, for some of us, if we're honest, we get a bit flustered and aggravated when people don't reply to our messages for a few days. You know, in South London, where I'm from, we will say you got aired if someone did not respond for that long. And Moses aired the Israelites for 40 days and 40 nights. Of course, they were scared, apprehensive, and nervous. The leader they counted on for food navigation literally disappeared. So I can just imagine, after moping around and feeling hopeless for a number of days, they decided to take initiative, and they cry out to Aaron, who was left in charge. And I can imagine it went something like this. They must have went to Aaron and they were like, you know, Aaron, listen, we liked Moses. You know, with him, we saw manna fall down from heaven to feed us. We saw how God, you know, did some great miracle and helped him to split the sea. You know, that was lit. But we have to face the facts, broski. Moses is not coming back. Those days are far behind us and we can't die here in no man's land. So you need to make us gods that can lead us through this mess. And instead of Aaron telling the people, the Israelites, we must not do this. We must trust the Lord 
your God and wait for his servant Moses. I can imagine he was like, actually, I hear what you guys are saying. I'm not trying to be here as well. I need to get out of this place. And he tells them to collect the golden earrings among the people in their community. And he molds them together in the shape of a calf. And let's also see what it says in verse 4. And he says this, after shaping the earrings into a golden calf, he says, these are your gods, Israel. He brought you up out of Egypt. So Aaron had made a lifeless idol. So my question for us today is what do we produce in times of fear, uncertainty, confusion, pain, pressure, and instability? For the Israelites and Aaron, they produce a golden calf. And we might not go as far as producing a golden calf, but just like the Israelites, we often produce new alliances, put our trust in new things rather than God to take us through the turmoil. And I'm not sure if you know this story, if you grew up in Sunday school like me, I am a certified church boy. (laughs) But I'm not sure if you know this story, if you've ever asked, why did they make a ball? Why didn't they make, you know, something like a lion or a bear? Or since they lost Moses, why didn't they make a golden statue of Moses to replace him? And some commentators believe it's because it represents the Egyptian god Apis, a calf, that signified extreme power, or Hathor, who was the bull goddess of joy, celebration, and love. So in a time of fear, the Israelites devoted back to the idols of the culture they knew, the culture that enslaved them, aka Egypt. And do we do the same? Just to press a little further, let's see what happens next when the bull was built. Let's turn to verse 5. It says this, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Reverie. So essentially, they had a wild party. So in times of fear, uncertainty, pain, the Israelites defaulted to simply overeating, excess drinking, and sexual promiscuity. And even though this is an account of humans that lived thousands of years ago, our culture default with dealing with pain and fear has not really changed. Confession time. This is an empty container of chin-chin. If you are from West Africa, you know exactly what it is. If you are not, (laughs) if you are not, it's basically a Nigerian biscuit. It's the best way I can describe it. And this is my favorite snack, so you know exactly what to get for my birthday. God bless you in advance. (laughs) And as you can see, it is empty for a reason. And a few years ago, my friends started to notice that if I was stressed out, overworked, sad, vulnerable, they could tell by how much chin-chin I had ate. And, you know, I could literally finish a whole container in two days. Bear in mind, chin-chin is meant to come in tiny packs, and this is a party pack. And, you know, 
basically, let's just say it was a party for one. <laughs> so when my friends, so when my friends would ask me, Wale, how are you doing? If they weren't convinced by my answer, they would literally go to my cupboard to see how much chinchin is left. And if they weren't impressed with the amount left, they would come back to me and say, Wale, come, we need to go and pray. I'm like, yeah, we probably should. And even though it might sound comical, in moments of personal turmoil, we might be more prone to things like overeating, excess drinking, and developing unhealthy sexual habits to provide a level of solace and comfort for us, or things on a similar matter. And I remember when I was in university, I was helping the CU with something called Missions Week, and I was handing out flyers for lunchtime talks. And I got into a conversation with this guy who had some like retro swag all about him. And he wore glasses so you couldn't clearly see his face. And he said to me, he was like, you know, if I'm being honest, I don't know why people are Christians. And then randomly, he started speaking to me about his love for weed. And honestly, I have never met a better weed evangelist like him. And as I was handing out flyers for this Christian lunchtime talk, he said to me, let me tell you why I love weed so much. And I said, please, go on. And he said to me how weed helps him clear his mind, think clearly, and ease his nerves. And I said, how very interesting. Have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit? And he said to me, no, tell me more. And I said, when you become a Christian, God's spirit fills you and gives you a great sense of peace and also helps you to discern clearly because his spirit guides you throughout your whole life. And on top of this, you feel um, a crippling shame and fear, that sense of a crippling shame and fear that most people have been carrying all their life, you feel it come off you as you experience forgiveness. And then I said to him, the thing is, mate, your weed is a cheap alternative of what God can bring to your life. And he looked at me, took off his glasses and said, I know why people are Christian now. And the truth is, Christian or non-Christian, we can all fall into the trap of trusting idols or producing other safety structures when we are fearful, overwhelmed, rather than trusting God especially like the Israelites, when the answer or the help of God is taken too long. Idols and alternative safety structures are often built out of impatience. Just like the Israelites, they were tired of waiting for Moses, essentially waiting for the help of God. So they built themselves a calf. But ultimately, as we can see from the golden calf, these idols and other safety structures and measures are lifeless and do not have the power and the capability to save you like you want to be saved. Only God can. And if we just refer back to the text, later on in Exodus 32, after the calf has been built, you know, God rebukes the Israelites, rebukes them for their idolism, and in the following chapter, Exodus 33, the Israelites are asked to take off their ornaments as a sign of repentance and utter dependence to God, which contrasts the picture of them taking off their earrings in Exodus 32. 
You know, in Exodus 32, as we read earlier, they took off their earrings, bought what they had to build something for themselves that could offer a false sense of comfort and security. But in Exodus 33, they stripped off their ornaments, not to create something else this time, but as an act of surrender. It was a picture of them stripping off what they took pride in, what they had, where they placed their trust in, in order to demonstrate complete reliance on God. And this is the hope, friends. Because of Jesus, we do not need to settle for a false sense of security, freedom, comfort, stability through idols and other measures. We can have the real thing. And we get it by doing the very thing that the Israelites failed to do which is to wait on the Lord. So my question is, how good are you at waiting? And this is a challenge again to us for those who are perhaps non-Christian, who are newly Christian or who have been Christian for several years. We will all feel the temptation to hurry out of seasons of pain, suffering and uncertainty and ultimately to bow down to idols or exercise a level of compromise in order to experience relief. And even Jesus himself was tempted in this area. But scripture says in Isaiah 40 verse 31, I love this scripture, it says these words, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I just want to read that one more time. But those who hope in the Lord or wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. And in this context, what does it mean to wait? It doesn't just mean to sit there passively, But waiting means to hope in, to look in, to eagerly expect a move of God. And that's my prayer for us today, that in times of fear, in times of crisis, in times of pain, that we will not just seek other alternatives to deal with our pain, just like the culture um, deals with their pain around us. But we will wait for the real thing, the one that will wipe every tear one day, where there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, and the one who will establish his kingdom forever. And that one is Jesus. We can wait for him, and he will meet us in our need. Amen.